Welcome everyone to the Score Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Boone, and we have a very informative show for you today going over some of the crowded backfields around the league, where you can find value at running back. But off the top, I will admit, I haven't really wanted to work on football over the last week or so, not with everything that's going on in the world. Football, it just seems kind of irrelevant when there's so much injustice and there's so much ignorance on full display out there. It's not just George Floyd's death. It's all the cases that are like his. I know this isn't something new. It's been happening for a while, but clearly there's so much work that needs to be done. We need to be better. And I support everybody out there who is peacefully protesting, who is trying to push society to improve. I support everybody that's working towards that goal. And I recognize I haven't done enough. And I'm trying to figure out how I can help in any way to move things in the direction that they should be going. And that requires listening to each other, empathizing with each other, and turning the frustration and the anger into something positive. Because it should break your heart seeing what we've been seeing. I know what breaks mine. Just the the lack of respect that people have for each other. The, the sheer stupidity that people display and the way that they treat other human beings. I mean, I'm generally a positive person, and it's hard to be that way when you're confronted with the kind of evil that we're witnessing right now. And this has been long overdue, but hopefully this is where the tide turns for the better. Hopefully we can get on the same page and make some progress and propel society to where it needs to go. It shouldn't be that hard just to be kind to each other. So that's where I'm at, and I'm more than willing to talk to anyone who wants to have an open and honest conversation. I want to learn more. I want to understand more. I want to do more. This is something that everybody needs to discuss and find ways to work together to make things better. We all got a role to play in this. So I wanted to express that this podcast, my social accounts, they're going to remain about fantasy football. But if I see an opportunity to use them to help, even if it's just in some small way, I will try to do that as well, and I hope that you're going to try to find ways to do the same and to help in your life. So there is no easy transition to jump back into football here. I wanted to say something off the top, though, and you know, like I said earlier, on today's show, we're breaking down some of those uncertain backfields, and as always, I've brought in another great guest to help us do that. Joining me now is Michelle Majuk, one half of the tandem over on the Ball Blast podcast, her Twitter account is excellent at ballblastm, and you can find her content over at ballblastfootball.com. Michelle, I want to welcome you to the show. I appreciate you being here, and I want to thank you because I feel like there's a lot of people in the industry who like to spew hot takes on players, and I think you do a great job of laying out your thought process, bringing stats and info to back all of it up, you know, why you believe in certain players, why you don't believe in certain players, so Thank you for that, and thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'll say, a lot of people say I I do hot takes, but I feel like I really have the information there to support it. And if you look at my fantasy teams, I'm owning these guys. Like, I'm I'm going to give them as well. So if I fail, I'm failing with my advice. (laughs) But yeah, you can give the hot takes. As long as you can back it up, you absolutely can give them. Now, normally, we'd start off with some news here, but the NFL has been pretty quiet this week on the fantasy front. There was one note that I saw uh, coming from Colts coach Frank Reich saying that, quote, there's definitely inherent respect for the starter returning, end quote, when he was talking about the backfield there. Now, 
The starter in that situation is Marlon Mack, who had over a thousand yards last year. And this is one of those cloudy backfields. You know, a lot of the rookies that came in this year, they entered these situations where there are incumbents. There's guys who could share some touches with them early on. And in Indy, not only do they have Mack there and they have Taylor, they also have a pass catching specialist in Naheem Hines. And Reich's talked him up a little bit this offseason as well. I love the landing spot for Taylor, even despite all this stuff. That offensive line, to me, is a perfect fit for him. But I want to know, are you concerned at all that this could be more of a committee and maybe lower Taylor's fantasy ceiling in year one? So I'm not concerned it's going to be a committee. I, I think Frank Reich really typically uses one back as the lead back. Now, is that going to be Marlon Mack or is it going to be Jonathan Taylor? Uh, Jonathan Taylor is my favorite running back coming out of this class. I think he's the most talented. And I actually really like the landing spot because that offensive line is so great. The system's so great. Now, if we're talking just 2020, it's a little scary because we do see often that vets get that priority where they get to show that they can they can keep their job, right, for at least that one year. Now, I personally think Marlon Mack's just another guy. He started off really hot, which got people really excited. And then he kind of fizzled off. He had a couple good games here and there. But that line was so good, it's like almost impossible not to be good behind. You see Marlon Mack go down. And then Jonathan Williams comes in and has 104 yards on the ground, just like that. Like a guy that no one ever is talking about, Jonathan Williams. I was like, don't play him. Like, we don't know him. And then he goes off, right? So is that Marlon Mack actually being good or is he just in a good system? And I think we've also seen the head coach not be scared to play rookies in the past. In San Diego, Brandon Oliver got to play right away. He was an undrafted free agent and he had more touches than Danny Wood had that year. Melvin Gordon, he was a coach that year when he was a rookie. He immediately got the the leading role uh, there as well. So I don't think I don't think we have to be as nervous as it might seem by coach speak this offseason. Yeah, and you bring up a good point. We're talking about all these rookies, right? The the veteran incumbent always seems to get that backing from the coaching staff in the offseason. And so often early in the year, we see that switch happen, maybe even by midseason. You see the the highly drafted rookie kind of take over at some point. I talked about Taylor last week on our must-have players episode. He's somebody that I just believe has so much upside in this offense. And it's for a lot of the reasons you just said, like the idea that I think he is a better running back than what they've had. And now you're pairing him up with that offensive line. In my mind, it's just going to be magic. And I think he's going to emerge whether it takes a game or two, maybe, but I think there's a good chance that very, very early in the season, we see Taylor just break off, you know, a few big runs and they're not going to be able to put that back in the box. They're going to have to roll with him. And right now, his ADP in best ball leagues, it's around the fourth round or so. So the risk is kind of lower at that point. You know, if anybody wants to hear me gush about him, I won't go into it too much because I know I talked about Taylor last week a bunch. So, you know, if you want, if you want to hear more about it, you can go back, listen to last week's episode. So we can keep going through these rookies because we got a, a bunch to go through a lot of backfields that I want to cover. And I just mentioned that the risk is a little bit lower with Taylor in the fourth. Well, you have another rookie, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who is a second round pick right now in fantasy drafts. We know, and the reason for that is because how productive backs have been in that Chiefs offense, whether it was Kareem Hunt a couple years ago, you know, Damian Williams, when he's been healthy down the stretch the last two years, he's just gone off. Do you think Edwards Hilaire is worth that early round pick? And it's around that two, three turn in fantasy drafts, which is a pretty high investment for a rookie. You know, I do. I think he is. I, I really do. It's 
it's going to be the riskiest pick you can pick there, right? If you're picking him, and I have seen him go at that turn, that's two, three turn almost every single time. So that's a very risky pick. But the upside is great. Andy Reid doesn't do running back by committee. I know last year it happened, but he was forced into it. I mean, Damian Williams got hurt. And even when he does play, I personally do not think he's a good running back. But then he was stuck with Daryl Williams and a hurt LaShawn McCoy and a Darwin Thompson who's tiny. So he didn't really have any other option because everyone kept getting hurt. And before 2019, he has 20 years of history where it's always a workhorse back. He selected Clyde Edwards-Hiller in the first round, and I think he's looking for that next workhorse back. You go through his history, it's Stu Staley, Brian Westbrook, LaShawn McCoy, Jamal Charles, and then you even had Spencer Ware for a year get all the carries, and then I went to Kareem Hunt, and then once he got suspended, it was Damian Williams. Damian Williams, I know at the end of the year his stats looked okay, but it was really on three carries that changed his complete stat line, right? Three carries, if you just took that away, he gained 40% of his total rushing yards on those three carries. On his other 108 carries, because he had 111 on the year, he averaged 2.8 yards per attempt. 2.8. It was bad. Like he, And I know he scored a lot of touchdowns, but he got a lot of carries from the one or two yard line. I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire can you know, get into the end zone if he gets those carries. I'm all in on CEH. He's my boy. I, I think he's super talented. Uh, and I would take the risk on him that early. Well, and we know the team came out and said that they talked to Patrick Mahomes, that Mahomes wanted Edwards Hilaire. So, you know, when a team drafts a running back in the first round, even if it's the last pick in the first round, they feel pretty good about him. So unless he shows up out of shape like uh, Rashad Penny did when the Seahawks took him in the first round a couple years ago, I think Edward Solaire is going to be that lead back sooner rather than later. And I agree with you. I think it makes him a high-end RB2. I think he has RB1 upside. So even if you do take him, you know, near the end of the second into the early third, there's a chance that next year at this time, we're talking about him as a first round fantasy pick in redraft league. So there's a very good reason to take him there, even if there is a little bit of risk. And it's so strange though. I mentioned earlier that it seems like all these top backs ended up on these teams with guys who are going to compete for carries. DeAndre Swift is maybe the saddest one of those for me because he was my top back in this class. I had Jonathan Taylor at number two. I was crushed to see Swift go to the Lions where he's going to have to compete with another guy I actually like and carry on Johnson. I still have Swift being the lead back in 2020, but you have to think that his ceiling is going to be limited by, I mean, Matt Patricia and how they've dealt with the running backs and used a lot of committees there in that offense. And just the fact that Carrion Johnson still could take a lot of work. We could see this be even a 50-50 backfield. Do you share my concern there? Uh, yeah, I definitely do. I was not as high on Swift before the draft, though. So now him going to the Lions situation, it really scares me off. Carrion Johnson last year, he, he didn't actually look impressive. I was very much on the Carrion Johnson train before the season started. And he actually disappointed me even before the injury. He just... He didn't look to have that power. He wasn't getting those yards on the ground. He wasn't used as much as we wanted in the passing game. And, you know, he he struggled near the goal line as well. Maybe DeAndre Swift can come in and be great in all those areas. But I actually see DeAndre Swift as very comparable to Kerryon Johnson, where on the ground, they're just, they can, they're very athletic, right? So they can use that ability. But are they going to beat out NFL defenders in that way who are just faster? 
I, I didn't really see Swift ever running over guys or making guys miss tackles. He wasn't getting a ton of yards after contact. Like, he didn't impress me that much on the ground. Now, through the air, he can be great. And I guess in, in fantasy, that's what we kind of want more than, it, I guess it matters more than actually on the ground because PPR points are everything. Um, and I, I hope they use him in that way. It just seemed like they were so focused on throwing deep last year, um, using carry on or using uh, Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones in that area. Their defense is so bad, and I think it got worse. Are they going to be playing from behind a lot? So there's not a lot of carries to go around. I'm worried about this backfield for sure. Well, and we're, we've even seen some reports where they're talking up, like maybe Bo Scarborough still be involved a little bit. We like what he did late in the season. Like, I don't know. We might have to look to next year for this backfield and some of the parts of this offense being a little better, assuming that at that point, maybe Matt Patricia's staff's going to be out of there. Daryl Bevel did all right for the passing game. I know Matt Stafford performed really well last season with him, but this rushing attack, the the fact that it could be a, a pretty ugly RBBC is kind of worrisome for me. Now, I've seen you be really, really vocal about a few of these rookies. So I want to talk specifically about some of the guys that I've heard you talk and I've seen you tweet the most about here. The first is Cam Akers with the Rams. Where do you stand? I'll just clear the lane and I'll let you go on this one. Where do you stand on his chances of producing as a rookie? So I'm known as the Cam Akers hater, right? And I'm not trying to hate on Cam Akers. I see the talent. I see that he can be great in the NFL. I also see a very, very low floor for him. He's I think he's the riskiest running back in this draft class that went in the first three rounds, besides the guy we'll get to later, Antonio Gibson. But Cam Akers, he has a lot of flaws. He's very athletic. That's great. I I think his vision is lacking, and that's one of the hardest things to learn going to the next level. His efficiency was so bad at the college level, and we can blame it on the offensive line, and you, you can do that. But if you go back 10 years of data, any running back that's in a inefficient in college was not good. They were busts in the NFL because it doesn't magically get easier against NFL competition. So besides Le'Veon Bell, he's the only guy that got better, but he got the play behind a top offensive line behind the Steelers, right? So he got put into a perfect situation. And now Cam Akers is going to the Rams, who had a terrible, terrible offensive line last year. I just don't see it getting any easier from him from college to the NFL, and I worry in that regards. Now, he's very athletic. He can break tackles. Um, he can be used in the passing game. He does have iffy hands that no one wants to recognize. He had nine drops on 77 catchable targets. So it's not just his quarterback. Like, these were catchable targets. Uh, that's a lot of drops for a running back in college. Um but I do see the potential, right? Like he has a lot of great things on film. He performed in a terrible offense behind a terrible line as best as he could. He was a second round pick. I get he gets a draft capital, but Daryl Henderson was a third round pick last year, an early third. They spent two third round picks to move up to go get him. I think they had to move up from the 97th pick to the 70th. That's 27 spots they had to move up to go draft Daryl Henderson. And I know he didn't get work last year, but I don't think he just goes away without getting a shot. He only had 39 carries last year. He had really impressive plays in those 39 carries. Like I said, that line was really, really bad, but he was able to force a lot of missed tackles. He was able to get a lot of yards after contact, and that was something he was really great in in college, and that translated to the NFL. Uh, He actually ranked seventh in yards after contact and eighth in missed tackles last year in the NFL. It's a small sample size, but there's lots of guys with small sample sizes, and they're not at the top there. So I was impressed by Henderson and the little work he got. 
we'll see if he gets more work. But I think this is going to be a straight up running back by committee with Malcolm Brown involved as well. That scares me. So I'm going to take the cheapest guy and the cheapest guy is Henderson by a lot. Yeah. And if it turns into any sort of committee, that's what's really scary. Because last year we saw Todd Gurley produce, but it was volume. It was scoring opportunities. The efficiency wasn't great. But when you're getting that many opportunities to, to score near the end zone, he can still put up RB2 numbers. If that's getting split amongst two or three guys, then yeah, I'm a lot more worried about this backfield this season. So uh, potentially one I'm going to stay away from. If I was going to invest, it still would be Acres at his ADP, which is sort of in the middle rounds right now. You're getting a little bit of a discount there. And like we said with Taylor, the risk isn't as big if you're going to have to spend to get someone there, especially if you've loaded up on other positions, if you've gotten one of those elite tight ends early, and if you've gotten a couple good receivers in the early rounds. I would be willing to take a chance on him more as a a zero RB approach, but I'm also curious to see with these rookies, if we get a normal preseason, whether any of these ADPs really skyrocket, if we get guys, you know, we see rookies come out and get a couple big plays in the preseason and all of a sudden, you know, they jump around two rounds, potentially acres is that kind of name where we could see something like that happen. And if that happens, I don't want to touch them at that point. It's mostly just the, the value you could be getting in the middle rounds. The next rookie back I want to talk about is in the Buccaneers backfield. We know Tom Brady showed up there. You wrote a great article about the Bucs backfield over at Ball Blast. So if anybody wants the the full in-depth breakdown, they should go read that. But how are you approaching Keyshawn Vaughn and Ronald Jones in Tampa? Yeah, so if you want the discount of Cam Akers, it's Keyshawn Vaughn, right? I I think their skill set is nearly identical, actually. And I I have them ranked right next to each other as sort of in that RB3 range inside the top 30, but literally back to back. Yeah, and Keyshawn Vaughn was actually more efficient on his college team behind an equally terrible offensive line. A lot of sites have actually Vanderbilt ranked worse. Their offensive line, their run blocking offensive line ranked worse than Florida State was. Like They were back to back in almost every site you find. But with Keyshawn Vaughn, you're getting a fantastic talent. Um, And... Bruce Arians likes to use that workhorse back. What I was saying there with Andy Reid, it's the same thing with Bruce Arians. You can go back and all all of his years as a coach, and he always uses that workhorse back. And last year, for some reason, he didn't. And we don't have an answer why, because Ronald Jones was healthy, right? Like, why wouldn't he use Ronald Jones as a workhorse? He looked okay when he was out there, but for some reason, Arians felt the need to give Peyton Barber half the workload. And that scares me. And and I think him drafting Keyshawn Vaughn was saying, like, I'm trying to find my next workhorse here because I don't believe that Ronald Jones can be it. And we have to remember that Arians wasn't there in Tampa Bay when they drafted Ronald Jones. He was there this year when they drafted Keyshawn Vaughn. I think Vaughn's going to be his guy. And maybe it takes a few weeks for him to, you know, take over that role. But I do think by week three, we see him as the back that is the main back to own in Tampa Bay. Yeah, I don't know if Vaughn will ever be a star, but I agree that I think he's the back to own there if you're going to invest in that backfield. And I think about, not that it's a direct comparison athletically, but someone like Justin Forsett, who was a good back, who when he got thrust into a starting role was able to produce, but was never going to be elite, was never going to be a you know huge difference maker, but somebody who could put up RB2 stats in the right system with the right amount of volume. 
That's what I see out of Keyshawn Vaughn. I don't think they're going to give Ronald Jones a lot of opportunities as a pass catcher. I think Tom Brady is going to want to find that guy who can be a pass catching weapon. And whether it's Vaughn or Raymond Calais, they need to find somebody else because I don't think it's going to be Jones. And that turns this into a committee at best, probably. And it's one that really the Bucks. that's one that I'm going to stay away from, I think, this year because I don't feel very confident in either. But if I am going to invest, it is going to be with Vaughn. Now, here's the big one. Maybe I even buried the lead here a little bit, but we got to talk about the Bills and Zach Moss. It seems like Moss should probably be the the spokesperson for Ball Blast at this point, right? Because you guys are bringing him up all the time. Give us the rundown on why you think Moss is such a great investment for fantasy this year. Okay, so it's not about him being such a great investment for fantasy this year, but I am really excited about his talent, and I'm very excited about his future in the NFL. Now, I want to say right now, Devin Singletary was my favorite back in the league before Zach Moss got drafted, okay? <laughs> so this one kind of hurt my heart a little bit because I love Devin Singletary so much. He was he was my guy last offseason. Like, he was the one I was talking about nonstop. Um, and it, he proved himself. He was fantastic. And I was really hoping that the Bills would give him a chance to take on that full-time workload. And, and from them drafting Zach Moss, I don't know if they feel comfortable with Singletary doing that. For some reason, they kept giving Gore too many chances last year. Like Singletary looked like the much, much better back um, in all areas, and, and they felt the need to not use him in that way. Uh, the reason I like Moss so much is he has elite vision, which I, I brought up before, is really hard to teach. He already has that. He's good in pass protection. He has uh, probably the best contact balance in the class. He's so hard to tackle. So many yards after contact, uh, I think he's just going to be a beast on the ground, um, especially in the you know um, in those short yarded situations. And immediately after the draft, the Bills GM Brandon Bean said that Moss is going to get that Frank Gore role. Now, what does that Frank Gore role look like? Is it at the end of the season when they're kind of pushing him out because he was so bad, or was it when they're trying to get him involved because they wanted that bigger back? Uh, we won't know, I guess, until the season starts. But what we do know is that Moss is going to get those goal line carries. Uh, Gore had 18 carries inside the 10-yard line last year, which is a good amount for a running back. He had eight carries from the one-yard line. Eight. Eight carries from the one-yard line. He only got in twice. Those were his two touchdowns all year <laughs> long. Only got in twice. That means he got stuffed six times. He had an additional three carries from the two-yard line. He didn't get in any of those. Um, that's just really bad. Uh, Singletary only had three carries inside the 10-yard line all year long, and those three carries came in the same game, and it was like a game in the middle of the season. So that means they tried him out. They they didn't like what they saw, apparently, even though he got in once um, and went back to Gore. So I think Moss easily steps in and takes over those goal line carries, a short-distance uh, role. And we, we, like I think anyways, that the Bills' defense is going to be really good this year. So if they're closing out games and just trying to run the clock out, that's going to go to Moss. And that makes me a little bit nervous about Singletary's upside there. If he's not getting that role, he's not getting the touchdowns. And I know a lot of people think that Singletary is really good in the passing game, but he's actually like pretty bad in the passing game. He was super inefficient last year. He was super inefficient in college. And those things translate, and it, and it did in his first year. He was one of the least efficient running backs in the passing game last year in the NFL. And Moss was one of the most in college, and that actually usually translates well. So I, I think Moss could take over that pass-catching role as well, and that could kind of destroy Singletary's value. I think it's interesting that you said Singletary was your guy last year because neither of these backs had great 
athletic profiles, right? Like coming in and we know that doesn't mean you can't be a good pro by any means. It just sometimes means that it's going to be a little harder to get over that bar. And we've seen Singletary do it already, albeit only for one season, really, you know, 12, 13 games. You want to include the playoffs there. But we've seen him make that leap to the pros. We haven't seen Moss do it yet. It doesn't mean that he can't, like I said, but that's why I'm still looking at Singletary as the guy who I think is going to be the lead back here. And something we have to mention about, you know, all the rookies, we don't know what it's going to be without having a normal offseason. We don't know what training camp or the preseason are going to look like. So that's something that could put the rookies behind the eight ball a little bit here. And then when I'm looking at Singletary, you know, what we saw from him last year I have to think the Bills were pretty impressed, even though they went out and got Moss, who will be an upgrade on Frank Gore in that backfield and will play that role. I like the way you put it about the the Brandon Bean quotes after the draft, where it wasn't really clear what he meant. I took that as, okay, he's going to come in and play that Gore role, which is going to be sort of the the secondary back in the backfield. He's not going to come in and, and take over. But as we know, a rookie comes in and starts to flash. It's possible. When we look at what Singletary did last year, you know, nearly a thousand yards from scrimmage on 192 touches over 12 games, had that injury early in the season. That was really the only thing that prevented him from putting up top 15 numbers last year. He was on pace for 201 carries, over a thousand rushing yards, three rushing touchdowns, 39 receptions, 259 receiving yards, and three receiving touchdowns. Those numbers still would have allowed Frank Gore to see well over 100 touches, so you could see Moss step in to that role. Those numbers were still coming with Josh Allen vulturing scores near the goal line. So I do think, and you know, that was one of the quotes from Brandon Bean that we're going to have Singletary play, you know, the similar role that he played last year. I think Singletary can pick up where he left off and be a guy who could compete to be a top 20 fantasy back. And you mentioned it. The Bills are going to be a good team this year. They're going to win a lot of games. That defense is good. It's going to mean more carries for that backfield in general. Now, could it mean more for Moss? Yeah, for sure. But I think it's going to mean more all around. And down the stretch last year, you know, Singletary had at least 75 yards from scrimmage in seven of his last nine games, if you count the playoffs. I don't think he was ever going to be a 10 touchdown guy. And that's where I think a lot of the disappointment came for fantasy owners, because I think people, they, anyone who thought that he was going to be a workhorse, I didn't really think that was ever going to be in the cards for him, but that doesn't prevent him from being a solid RB two. It maybe just prevents him from ever reaching that RB one level. And if you're somebody that just wants to draft for upside and fantasy, then I totally get it. Singletary's probably not your guy. But if you can get him in the fourth, fifth round, and there's been a lot of negative stuff, and maybe you're pushing it because all this Moss talk, his ADP seems to be dropping a little bit when you're talking about Singletary. I would and, never talk bad about Singletary. <laughs> but but all the Moss talk could be could be bumping Singletary down just a little bit. No one's trusting me with Moss. Everyone hates on me so hard anytime I bring up Moss. Uh, but I... I I think this backfield, I think both of them can be relevant. You know, if we're going to look at a backfield that can have two backs be successful and be both relevant, I think the Bills have that, almost like the Camara ingram type backfield uh, a couple years ago with the Saints. But the thing is, like, people think Singletary is this pass-catching back, and he's just, like, he's not efficient in that area at all. So that's the only thing that worries me there with his upside. Because if he's getting carries taken away, and he's not scoring touchdowns, and maybe he's getting receptions, but he's getting five yards per reception. 
I, I don't, I just don't know the upside for him with another back. That's all. That's all I'm saying. I, I do think he's going to get plenty of work. Like, I think he's going to see plenty of work, but we saw him get a lot of work last year and he wasn't that great for fantasy. He looked really good as a rookie and I was very proud of him because I loved him so much. Um, but like when you plugged him into your fantasy lineup, you didn't really see success. And I think we're going to see a lot of the same there with Singletary this year. Well, I'm intrigued if the Bills do win more games, which I think they will. I'm intrigued by the backfield. The part of that offense that I'm worried about for fantasy is the passing attack, though, because I'm not sure there's enough to go around for Diggs and John Brown and Cole Beasley and Dawson Knox. You know, if we're, we're talking up these backs and we're talking up Josh Allen as a runner and him getting carries around the goal line. I saw somebody mention recently, you know, whether all those carries that Allen gets around the goal line, are those actually taking away from his passing touchdowns and not actually vulturing from the running backs as much as people think? Outside of Diggs, I'm not really loving any of those pass catchers in 2020 for fantasy, but it's going to be one that's very interesting to watch in training camp in the preseason, depending how that all unfolds. I wasn't high on Moss coming out, so we kind of differ there a little bit. Another guy I wasn't that high on as maybe everyone else was J.K. Dobbins, but with the landing spot going to Baltimore and that Ravens offense, it sets him up for just a fantastic opportunity. The only question is going to be, does that opportunity come this year? Or do we have to wait for Mark Ingram to maybe go away next season? You know, I don't know if he's going to be able to usurp Ingram this year. Are you interested in Dobbins as a high upside pick? Because right now, his ADP, we were talking about that with some of the other guys. Dobbins right now, I have to think, is the backup there. But he's going off the board in like the sixth round. So that's a heavy price to pay. When you have somebody in Mark Ingram who, you know, was a top 10, top 15 back last year, depending on the formats, and now you have Dobbins who's going to try to come in and pass him. Is he somebody that you're you're willing to roster? Yeah, if we're talking about just 2020, no, I'm not going to even look J.K. Dobbins' way. I It's funny because we actually disagree here again. I actually love J.K. Dobbins before the draft. <laughs> I love his landing spot for the future. And for 2021, I think it's great. The biggest issue people had with J.K. Dobbins coming out of school was he had so much space to work. So is he going to be good in the NFL? Well, guess what? Now he's in an offense that has so much space to work, he's going to be fine. The issue here is to Mark Ingram. And I, I don't think Mark Ingram goes anywhere. Uh, Greg Roman is the offensive play caller. Uh, and he does not care about draft capital and rookies whatsoever, especially at the running back position. Um, he's worked with a lot of older backs, and he's always – stayed true to them and given them the full workload. He used to, you know, coach with the San Francisco 49ers. They drafted two running backs throughout his time there in the second round. Len Michael James, who never got his opportunity. Uh, well, never was good either. And then Carlos Hyde uh, was also drafted in the second round late in Frank Gore's, what we thought late in Frank Gore's career. He was like almost 31 at that point. Um, and Frank Gore still didn't get any snaps taken away. He was still the lead back. That second round draft pick didn't mean anything to Greg Roman. Um, and then he went to Buffalo, had LaShawn McCoy, you know, aging LaShawn McCoy. And I think this is Mark Ingram's backfield. And maybe Dobbins gets to come in sometimes and he's very efficient with his carries like we saw with Gus Edwards last year. But it's not going to be enough to be fantasy relevant. Uh, most of Gus Edwards' carries and role came in the fourth quarter when they're already up by so much. I could see that happening with Dobbins, but I think Mark Ingram is a great 
value in drafts. And I don't think people give enough credit to the fact that Ingram kind of helped bring a bit of an identity to that locker room. You know, he was the one, you know, the post-game press conferences, jumping on the mic, hyping up Lamar Jackson. Like, I think he really helped the identity of that team and kind of give them some of that swagger. So I don't know that the team's just going to be like, okay, go take the bench now. We got the rookie here. So I'm with you there. Let's round out the rookie theme. And you kind of touched on it. You mentioned you kind of, you know, brought his name up a little bit earlier. Antonio Gibson going to Washington. That backfield is just such a disaster right now. Like Darius Geist, Adrian Peterson, they bring in Peyton Barber. They still have Bryce Love, JD McKissick, and now Gibson there as well. The uncertainties kind of caused some people to get maybe a little too excited about Gibson, I think, because he had very limited usage as a running back in college. So this is a big ask to have him come into the pros and all of a sudden see a sizable role in this backfield. Not just Gibson. Is there anybody that you want to roster in that backfield or are you just staying away from them entirely? Um, well, I'm definitely not touching Antonio Gibson, even in dynasty leagues, even in like just rookie drafts. Like, no, I'm not touching Antonio Gibson. If you know, even in the last round of 2020 drafts, he had 33 total carries in college. 17 of those 33 came in back-to-back games against the same exact defense. They played Cincinnati both, both weeks. Um, just no, he wasn't a typical running back. He was taking these carries out of different formations than you're going to see a running back take in the NFL. Uh, I, if I'm wrong on him, I'm wrong on him, but he's not, it's already such a hard thing to hit on these rookies that I'm not taking this big of an outlier. Um, if he hits, he hits, it's great. I am not going to be sad that I missed out for the rest of the backfield. You know, Darius Geist is still going really late. I feel like last year people started to hype him up again. So he's going still too early where I felt comfortable and then he gets hurt again and you can't use him all year long. If he just stayed healthy, I do think he'd be a great running back. He never had issues with injuries in college, and he just got really unlucky with that one knee injury um, that, you know, just kept getting worse and infected and all of that, where he had to deal with that. And then he had the MCL tear and the other injury or another knee last year. So it's just, it's been not a fun start of his NFL career, but if he can stay healthy, I think he's a steal. Now, I don't know if I'm going to take the risk on it, but I can't hate anyone that does. A guy that I would be looking at, uh, super, super late in drafts, and I would more prefer, prefer him in a dynasty format. But Bryce Love, he was a fourth rounder last year, and that might seem like nothing, but he tore his ACL like right at the end of his college career, and the Redskins still took him in the fourth round, knowing that he would have to redshirt his freshman year or his rookie season with the Redskins. Like I, I think that's telling. Bryce Love was very, very good in college with Stanford, so if guys gets hurt, I think the workload goes over to Love. It doesn't go over to Gibson. Uh, so I would take the chance on Love over Gibson, who's no one's talking about Love and everyone wants Gibson. Yeah, and that's the one saving grace with those Washington backs is that, like you said, you don't have to pay very much to get any of them. So you can kind of just take them as more lottery tickets later in your drafts. Enough with the rookies. There's a couple other backfields where I think the uncertainties kind of pushing guys way down similar to what's happening in Washington the first is the Dolphins they go out they sign Jordan Howard they surprise everybody and they don't take a running back with one of those first six early picks that they had in the draft instead they trade a day three pick to get Matt Breda and I know everybody loves Matt Breda he's gonna leave that 49ers system where almost every back who gets opportunity looks great now he's gonna go to this Dolphins offense so it's Howard it's Breda 
they're both being selected outside of the first eight rounds. And that's best ball ADP that I keep using because I think this time of year, the best ball ADPs are a little more accurate than what you're going to see. Some of the sites that have ADPs for redraft leagues, they'll kind of catch up in a month or two. Do you see either of these Dolphins backs, though, being a potential you know weekly fantasy starter this year? I I don't. I don't. I think you can own them and then get lucky if you plug them into your lineup in the right week, or I guess in best ball, like, you, you know, they might be useful. But I feel like this is just a coin flip to me. Who gets more touches? I really have no idea. Both both running backs have their question marks. Howard can't really be used in the passing game. He gets injured. And then Matt Barreta, yeah, he looked great. Like you said, with the 49ers averaging 5.1 yards per carry looked awesome. But Everyone looks awesome in that 49ers system. Is he really going to go from the 49ers offensive line and system to Miami where no running back could get going last season? We even saw like Kenyon Drake was really, really bad in Miami, whether he wasn't used correctly or I don't know what was going on. But then he goes to Arizona and he's great. So that makes me really worried from Breda going from the best system to probably the worst. I'd, I'm just staying away from this backfield. I'm not taking either one. I don't care how late they're going. I, I don't really want to take the risk on that. I think you, you could take this pick and it could be a total pick in the garbage. And it kind of just depends on like team construction. I kind of talked about it earlier, but you know, if you're going with that zero RB approach, these are the guys you're probably going to have to take a chance on. You know, for me, I always find it crazy and people are going to be sick of me bringing this up on the podcast, but that Jordan Howard has been a top 20 fantasy back in PPR, even though he's not really a pass catcher, been a top 20 fantasy back in PPR in each of his first three seasons with Chicago. And before he got hurt last year in the first half of the season, he was in the top 20 PPR backs in Philly as well. It's just so strange. And we know Breda gets banged up a lot. He often plays through it, but he does get banged up a lot. So if I was picking between them, I kind of feel like I would go with Jordan Howard, but I'm not really that excited about either. And then there's the Patriots here and the blueprint for approaching that Patriots backfield. It's normally been to invest in the cheapest guy. They're all kind of cheap right now, though. So whether that's because nobody has faith in the backs, whether that's because nobody has faith in the offense without Tom Brady, you know, you can get Sony Michelle right now in the eighth round of drafts and really in the late eighth round and sort of on that turn. What do you think about Michelle or James White or really any of the backs in New England now that Brady's gone? Um, yeah, I'm definitely not touching Sony Michelle. We already saw him with a full workload, 247 carries, and I don't really care where he ended up. He was unuseful for fantasy. I think a lot of times we go back and we're like, well, they ended as like the running back 30. That's not that bad. And it's like, no, you just remember – did you want to play them throughout the season? Did they help you win whatsoever? <laughs> and the answer is no. You couldn't play Sony Michelle unless you wanted six points in a PPR league. Like that, that's pretty much what you kept getting. I don't care if he's in the eighth round. Like a, a lot of people want to take just safe players later on. They're like, well, at least like I could maybe plug them in my lineup and they won't get zero. Like I want to go for the upside guys. And if they fail, then I know I can drop them. Like I love to stream players. Now for best ball, like you brought up, that's going to be a little bit different. But Sony Michelle, I think, would be the last running back you'd want in best ball because he just has, like, <laughs> no upside. You get the touchdowns, though, right? At least in best ball, you get the touchdowns. Maybe. Maybe if Sony Michelle can get in the end zone. But we have James White there. Rex had Damian Harris, who was drafted in the third round last year, and he was not involved whatsoever. Um, coaches are saying that he should be more involved this year. Who knows? If I'm actually going to take a shot on a guy, it would be Damian Harris, just because we haven't got to see him yet. Like, let's just go for the upside. 
we don't know if he's as bad as Sony Michelle yet. So at least you have some hope and you're going to be able to get him in the last round um, if you even have to draft him. But that offense is a total question mark. And maybe James White's the guy, really, because if they use him in the same way that Brady liked to use his running backs, like is that a Belichick thing that he likes to use his running backs in the passing game? Or is it a Brady thing? Uh, and I guess we'll see that this year. I feel like we've talked about, what, like a third of the league's backfields at this point. So we're not going to cover all of them, but there's a handful of others that I want to touch on. So let's do like a lightning round. We can go a little quicker through some of these and just give our thoughts. Uh, let's start with the 49ers. Obviously a phenomenal rushing attack. Kyle Shanahan always has a great run game. Raheem Mostert is looking like the guy after he ended the year really strong. Some people are questioning whether he could be, you know, this year's Damian Williams, though, or he doesn't get it done. But he wasn't really involved that much as a passer. We know Shanahan hasn't really been committed to sticking with one back. More of a hot hand approach. And with Jarek McKinnon potentially coming back, Tevin Coleman's still there. Where are you at with those 49ers backs? Yeah, I think it's going to be, a, you know, a little bit of a headache no matter who you own because Shanahan hates your fantasy team and he doesn't <laughs> care. But Coleman seemed to be the only running back that couldn't be good in that system behind the offensive line. I'm like, how can you still not be good there? That That's pretty bad. Um, we, we have Breda gone. McKinnon wasn't good before his injury. I don't know how he's going to be good after. And so uh, Moster is the most exciting player in this backfield. He was a running back 10 in PPR from weeks 13 through 17. Small sample size, but it's the only size we have when he was heavily involved in this offense. He was actually really good. So if I'm going to take a running back here, it's definitely Mostert. Yeah, and in Dynasty, I traded away Mostert this offseason. And keep an eye on, I went and picked up Jermichael Hasty. And, you know, give me all those UDFAs that go into that Kyle Shanahan run game, because who's the next one that's going to be Hasty? It's going to be Salvin Ahmed. Like, one of those guys is probably going to pop up in a year or two and be relevant. So, you know, I'd be spending some late rookie picks to get those guys, or even just picking them up off the waiver wire if they're still available. Uh, the Broncos' backfield... Feels a little bit more defined, maybe. You got Melvin Gordon coming in to likely play that lead back role. Philip Lindsay being more of the 1A, 1B kind of back. Are you intrigued by either of those guys for 2020? You know, I would be more intrigued by Melvin Gordon. I think Philip Lindsay was one of those guys last year that he got the workload. He was okay for fantasy, but you're never like really excited to plug him into your lineup. Melvin Gordon, when he came back from weeks five through 17, he was a running back 12 in PPR. He, he did okay. Now in this new system, are they going to throw to him as much as Rivers did in that Chargers system? We have no idea. It's a little bit riskier, but I think this is the one time you can get Melvin Gordon at a cheap price, right? He's always been a really expensive back going, especially last year going in the first round. Now he's going to drop down a bit. He's still very talented. He does have those issues with injuries. But if I'm going to take a shot on one of these guys, it's going to be Melvin Gordon. All right, we'll keep moving quick here in Cleveland. Uh, Nick Chubb was just dominating last year in the first half of the year. And then Kareem Hunt comes back from suspension. And, you know, Chubb's numbers dropped just a little bit. How much do you think Hunt's going to hurt Chubb's ceiling this season? Or maybe do you think, can both guys be pretty fantasy relevant? I love them both. I would actually be willing to take them both. I think if we do ever have a situation like Kamara and Ingram again, like I brought up earlier, this is the best fit for it with Hunt and Chubb, where Hunt can be used in the passing game. Chubb is that workhorse on the ground that's just getting 300 carries. Like, without without Hunt, he was on pace for 306 carries. With Hunt, 288. It's not that different. 
Um, it's just the touchdowns. He wasn't getting in, but he was getting all the goal line carries. Hunt was not. He just couldn't get in there. So I do think we see positive regression in that area. I think both can be fantastic. Both are super talented. Kevin Stefanski loves to run the ball. Plenty to go around drafting both. I like that Kamara Ingram comparison. I really like that. Uh, Le'Veon Bell had a down year in his first season with the Jets. Wasn't terrible. Maybe maybe I'm overreacting a little bit there. I think he was still a top 20 back in fantasy. But some of that could be attributed to the offense being bad, especially that offensive line was not good last year. Sam Darnold missed some time. The line looks better, at least on paper this year. But now you got Frank Gore coming in there to take some touches. No one, absolutely no one is looking to roster Frank Gore in fantasy, but is Bell somebody that fantasy owners should maybe be looking at as a bounce back candidate? Maybe he can get those numbers up a little bit with some improvements to that offense as a whole? Um, no, I, I'm not. <laughs> no, Le'Veon Bell is not someone I'm looking to go grab. Last year, I was still on him. I was like, you know what? I still think he can be good. Um, and he proved me wrong. He was very inefficient. Uh, he was, like I brought up earlier, he was very inefficient in college. He was very inefficient his first season with Pittsburgh. He had a couple good years behind one of the best offensive line in the league. In 2017, before he left, super inefficient with Pittsburgh. He just saw a huge volume. Uh, sat out for a year and then was terrible last year. I know you said he was still top 20. When you play 15 games and you see 300 touches, being top 20 is still very, very bad because that's spread out by many games. Like You shouldn't have that much volume in that many games and be that bad. Like That's just not good. Uh, I- I'm staying away. I'm staying away. <laughs> like He might get some receptions, which is great, but no, 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 I don't want him. Off the top, who would you rather have, Le'Veon Bell or David Johnson this year? Oh, Le'Veon Bell. Still Le'Veon Bell? Yeah. David Johnson was really bad on the ground, too. He's just someone who I think could get all that volume, like you're saying, last year. I could see him end up being a top 20 back just because he gets a ton of volume in Houston. The difference is that Deshaun Watson doesn't like to use his running backs in the passing game, and he has uh, Duke Johnson to fight for for targets. Le'Veon Bell has no one to fight for for targets in that backfield, um, and Sam Darnold will... Uh, check down to him. All right, a couple more here. Rashad Penny likely to start the year on the pup list. Chris Carson should be healthy, but he's coming back from the hip injury. The Seahawks just signed Carlos Hyde, which complicates things. Can you simplify how everyone should approach the Seahawks backfield at all? Oh goodness! Like everyone, <laughs> everyone's hurt. So like you said, Carson with his hip, Penny ACL, and then even Hyde is. I know. Yeah, trying to recover from a shoulder surgery. He's older. How long will that take? I guess he should be ready by week one. Um, I mean, if Chris Carson, if I knew he was going to be healthy, he's the pick here. He looked really good. I was wrong on Chris Carson last year. Uh, I didn't think he was that good of a player that he could hold up all year long. And he proved me wrong. He was fantastic for fantasy. Um, I, I want to stay away because then they also have DJ Dallas, who they took in the fourth, and he could get involved. This is just going to be a messy backfield. All right. In Vegas, Josh Jacobs looks like he could be a potential star, but I wonder how much Jalen Richard, they get take uh, Lynn Bowden, maybe even Devontae Booker, who they signed. Are these guys going to prevent him from getting that bigger passing role, which would really cap his upside as maybe an RB2? Yeah, I think I put him and Nick Chubb in the same category where they're going to be dominant on the ground and get the touchdowns, but they're not going to be using the passing game enough to be a top five running back and they're going really early right like they're not going as top five running backs but they're going early second mid second where you hope to have that ceiling and you don't really have it there with them but they're super safe I I think they're super safe running backs where you I I think both Jacobs and Chubb who are only going to be using the ground 
will be top 12 running backs in fantasy, even in PPR. So I like the Jacobs pick. He's not cheap whatsoever. So you're paying up for him. But I think you're grabbing a very, very safe running back here uh, that you know will score you points and not disappoint. Uh, I, I don't see his targets going up that much just because that Lynn Bowden pick in the third, I do think they'll use him more in that area. But I hope I'm wrong because I really love Josh Jacobs in fantasy. Me too. And last one here. Are you all systems go on Austin Eckler being the lead back for the Chargers, being a, a fantasy star like he was early last season? Or do you think Josh Kelly, Justin Jackson, maybe those guys can turn this into more of a committee? Yeah, he Austin Eckler is going a little bit earlier than I feel comfortable taking him because he isn't fantastic on the ground. He's a smaller back. He isn't great in those short yardage situations. Fantastic through the air. He had over 100 targets, and he's so good on those targets. But Tyrod Taylor doesn't use running backs like Phillip Rivers does. And maybe the system will change for Taylor, uh, but he typically takes off and runs instead of checking down. And then if Justin Herbert comes in, I think that's kind of the same thing there. You have a mobile quarterback. So we'll see how many targets Eckler really gets this year with Rivers gone. And I do think Justin Jackson's a very underrated running back. He's very efficient when he gets his chances. He was hurt most of last year. And they did take Josh Kelly, who's someone I don't think is that talented. But they took him with their second pick of the draft. It was in the fourth round, but it was their second pick. That's pretty high capital right there. And I think they will want to use Josh Kelly more than we're ready for them to use them with where Eckler's going. Where's he going? Like late second, early third? He's Right around there, yeah. And I wonder, like, I feel like people are overlooking Justin Jackson too quick. And maybe it's just because people get really excited about the rookies. And, okay, well, I know Kelly's a little bit bigger of a back. And maybe he fits that role a little better. But... Yeah, Jackson played pretty well in the opportunities that he got. And I know the coaching staff said a lot of nice things about him. So I wouldn't be shocked if he continues to have a role and maybe even a bigger role than Kelly. Some people seem to be penciling Kelly in as sort of the immediate backup. I I still think that could be Jackson. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, that is all for today's show. Go and follow Michelle on Twitter at BallBlastM. That's BallBlastEM. And Michelle, keep crushing it. I'm a big fan of what you're doing. So I was really glad that you agreed to be on the show today. And I definitely hope we can get you back down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Whenever. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Can't wait to find out if Zach Moss is as good as you think. I and The Bills fan in me hopes that he is. <laughs> I'm praying he is, yeah. <laughs> as for me... Uh, The Score Fantasy Football Draft Kit is live now. Hopefully, you've already checked it out. If not, you can jump on the Score app and take a look. It's got everything you need in there. Not just my rankings. It's got breakouts and busts and sleepers and mock drafts and players who are going to lead you to a title and strength the schedule. All that stuff is in there. And best of all, it is 100% free. There are a lot of great draft kits out there, but ours doesn't cost a dime. It's updated daily. It's got the most accurate rankings in the industry. So check that out. We have lots of great shows planned over the next couple months. We're going to get you ready for the fantasy season. But until then, big thanks to Michelle. Big thanks to everybody out there for listening. And we will see you next time. Said leave on time, my baby. Said leave on time. Leave on time with me tonight. Said leave on time.